I just want to point out, we are not even 30 seconds into recording, and you are already in your lady voice. <laughs> are you talking about my belt mix? Yes, your forward mix belt. It's like we literally just started it. My cats are like, you good girl? You knew what you were getting yourself into when you decided to make a podcast with me though, yeah? Yeah, I guess I just didn't like actually visualize or like actually physicalize you screaming in my earbuds. So then you admit that that's on you. Yes. Does that make <laughs> does that make you I hope that makes you feel better. <laughs> Guys, episode five, A Lost Soul, The Disappearance of Lee Cutler. Lee Cutler. Where Uh, is he? Where is he? Where is he? Oh, my God. I mean, let's just, let's jump in. This is a hard one, you guys. I mean, they're all hard. This is why they're, they're, you know what? They're all hard. (laughs) Girl, this episode haunts my nightmares. This is the worst kind of episode for me because the ones where like we don't know know what happened but we like can basically guess those are hard when they're like you, the, the answers are probably dead but at least you ha- you know. Then there are the other ones where they get found which I didn't even know was a real thing that happened. I know. But this one is like I don't want to give anything away but like we don't have a lot of closure at the end of this one. I miss you. I love you and I want you to be home. You're loved. If you don't think you're loved you're loved. A mother's youngest son disappears into thin air, leaving behind a trail of disturbing evidence. After you find a note like that, you think that maybe it was a suicide. But nobody can find this boy. Had Lee been in the area that we searched, we would have found him, but there was nothing. And foul play is a chilling possibility. A chance of a kidnapping or an abduction has to be ruled out. With new clues only complicating the case, Loved ones are grasping at straws. The fact that there's no sign of him gives a lot of power to the possibility that he was just trying to set everybody up. We do not know what happened to Lee Cutler. It's a mystery. All right, look, it's October 19th, 2007. We're in a town called Buffalo Grove, Illinois. It's 24 hours before Lee Cutler vanishes. So he goes to school and, you know, we learn that it's like one of those really big high schools. Stevenson High School is enormous. There's over 4,000 students, but it was a little tough. I think you can get lost in the crowd much easier at a, at a bigger school. One of the first people we meet is his girlfriend, Autumn, who is so cute. And we see this picture of Autumn and Lee, and they have the exact same haircut. Yeah, Did yeah, you notice? Yes, his like little <laughs> swooping hair. Also, back to Stevenson High School, four thousand students i know how many kids are in a class like a (laughs) hundred oh my god that that already spiked my anxiety but wait i just want to mention that like we see all these pictures of this kid lee cutler and he is exactly what i wish i was in high school he's like thin with that like beautiful swoopy hair you can end it there you can end it there he was thin exactly (laughs) that's it that's all he was everything i wanted to be thin (laughs) But, like, he had that hair. It was so cute. He was so adorable. You know what? It's so funny. I grew up in the Bay Area in California, like, you know, Berkeley, Oakland. He looks exactly like a Bay Area kid. Yeah. Like, swoopy hair, Jewish tie-dye shirts, like, wore Birkenstocks. Like, sort of like a modern hippie, like a hippie in the aughts, essentially. (laughs) But I was like, oh, I know that kid. Like, they they talk about him playing, like, hacky sack in the field. I was like, I went to school with those kids. You know what I mean? So, we get the lay of the land with all the characters we're going to get 
get to meet. We find out that he's, and, and this will come up more later, but he's a very extreme Jewish faith. His cousin is a rabbi, Rabbi Ross Shapiro, who's his cousin, who weighs in a lot on um, his family and his life. I never had like a, a solid conversation, like, what are you going to do? He answered, not in depth kind of like yeah I'll figure it out you know yeah and we learn that like it's the beginning of his senior year and like they make a point to say that he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life and I'm like what is it with our obsession with 17 year old kids knowing what they want to do with their lives you took the words right I literally wrote he doesn't know what he wants to do which is fine it is (laughs) at 17 years old I was convinced I was going to be a Broadway star same the funny thing is so were you and you are (laughs) it doesn't matter I want to stop this thing where you pressure kids like declaring a major deciding your life I know. at 17 or 18 is such an american thing you know how totally. like europeans take their gap year to like find themselves it's like dude just everyone back up off the kids you don't have to know what you want <laughs> Girl, we heard you. You're on the record. Oh, my God. I really, I'm sorry. That was a tangent. But, like, further to that point, though, they say that, like, he was undecided about going to college. And I'm like, fine. Yeah. You know who just paid off their student loans? I went to college with you, so I won't give the number of years because you get mad whenever I do that. But it was a long time ago. <laughs> and I just paid off my student loans. Just. It was only five years. You did a great job. <laughs> Thank you, girl. Thank you. Um, so we find out that that Friday night after school, he's heading to a friend's birthday party who's turning 18. So, But this is, like, with they're talking about this party this is when we meet guys sit down everyone gird your loins enter penny Coolbridge. oh god her lower third is close family friend and private investigator also penny girl <laughs> is not gonna let you forget she's a private investigator no. <laughs> but like penny and lee's mom beth they're best friends they call each other sisters and penny's at this party too penny works as a private investigator But Beth never dreamed she would have to make use of Penny's investigative skills. She says things like, because I'm a private investigator, or as a private investigator, remember that episode where you didn't like the friend Barbara just because she had a bad perm? Yeah. Penny's on my list. She's only here to do good. She's only here to help, but I don't like her. Yeah. You can imagine that they were like, so we're going to bill you as um, close friend. And she's like, I'm just going to ask that you add private investigator. And like the editor's like... Sure, girl. Let me just add that. And Penny has this other moment. She's like, further to Lee being kind of like a hippie, she's like, when I first met Lee, I felt like I was back in my day, and I'm from the 60s, so... When I first met Lee, I looked at him, and I felt like I was back in my day. I'm from the 60s, so... Someone just needs to, like, really quickly tell Penny it's not about her. Right. Like, just real quick. And the thing is, she'd be cool, but it would be news to her. Oh, it yeah, would yeah, be yeah. News she'd be like, say more, say more. I'm sorry. <laughs> Being a private investigator, I thought, well, there might be something there. So after this party, Lee goes home and asks his mom, and we are about to find out how much Lee's mom and me have in common. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> It is to be noted that everything was super cool at the party. Yeah. Like, it was fun. Like, they had a hibachi. Totally. Everything was super cool. Nothing out of the ordinary. No. So, Lee goes home, asks his mom if he can sleep over at his friend's house, and the mom is like, yes, but you will call me when you get in the car. Yeah. You will call me when you get there. You will call me when you brush your teeth. You will call me in the middle of the night, again in the middle of the night, and then you'll call me first thing in the morning. And he says, Mom, can I sleep over a friend's house? And I know all of his friends. And I asked who, and he told me who. And I said, okay, but you need to call me. When I say call, it means call at night and call the next day. You know, I'm a mom and I, I, I worry. I wrote, Beth is my kind of lady. I know, me because too. Because 
Yeah, when someone says like call me and I'm like or I'll call you back, I'm like literally waiting by the phone. Like what you're you calling me back? Yeah. No, I'm exactly the same way. So then she tells us this heartbreaking thing where she's like, and then he hugged me and he hugged me for like a really long time. Yeah, I which know. stood out to her then, but like not really. He says, Okay, mom, I love you, and he hugged me. And he hugged me for a long time. And you know, you never th- you never think about these things, but it was longer than usual. And this is where we're going to have to start making some decisions, you guys. Like, did he go away on purpose? Where did he go? This is our first clue. There's so much. Something was up. So that night, he had sent a text message to his girlfriend, not his love girlfriend, his friend who is a girl. Yeah. Sort of texting about not fitting in or not feeling good about himself. And she just was like, everything's going to be fine. She just felt like she was being an ear. At times, I think he felt like guilty if he was going to spring his own hurt as well as his own joys upon other people. But for the most part, he tried to keep his emotions to himself. You know, just typical. I mean, I hate to say that, but not only typical teenage stuff, but like typical life things. You know, he didn't have a direction, whatever. But again, did not raise red flags. Those were sent at about midnight that night, that Friday night. So technically Saturday morning. He spent the night at his friend's house playing video games. To which I went, ugh, boys. (laughs) Everything seemingly normal. Not so fast, girl, because guess what he didn't do? He didn't call his mom when he got there. Right. So she calls him that night, goes right to voicemail. Right. Then he doesn't call her in the morning. She calls him first thing. He doesn't answer. And she says, and so I kept on calling. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, yeah, of course you would. Lee's notorious for sometimes calling and sometimes not calling. And in the morning I called and didn't hear from him. And then I kept on calling. And- Girl, I see you. That is exactly the kind of mother I am. And she makes it a point to say that he was a very responsible kid. So this was a little weird. He wasn't like an ornery teenager who was like, ugh, my mom. Like, no. He really would have answered the phone, apparently. So things like start to move fast, right? So now it's the next morning. It's Saturday, October 20th. Apparently he was with his friend Alex. He drives his friend Alex home and tells Alex that he's going to work. So this kid, Alex, is like the last one to... To see Lee on that Saturday. Lee is a responsible kid. And as the hours pass, his mother, stepdad, and older brother are becoming increasingly worried. <laughs> and then I have right here, I'm like, we're being told that he's a really responsible kid while they're doing a slow zoom on an actual ball compass on the dashboard of his car. Like, <laughs> he was so responsible that he always needed to know exactly where North by Northwest was. <laughs> he just needed to know in case you needed to know. Sure, that I know, sometimes those visuals are so funny. <laughs> So I guess he said that he was working at the mall. I didn't get the name of the store. Rock of America? He worked at Rock America, which is a store in the mall. It was definitely his sort of place. He had a lot of Grateful Dead shirts and a lot of just old classic rock shirts. It was one of those stores, and every mall in America had them at this time. It was like where the hippie kid would go to work, like with the tie-dyed shirts and like the fish memorabilia and like the Grateful Dead Grateful shit. Grateful Dead, yeah, classic rock stuff. And so, again, Patrick, Ellen, and Beth right. <laughs> all had the same idea. Mom goes to the mall. Right. <laughs> so I went to the mall, and I went in the store, and his boss was there, and I said, is Lee here? And she said, no. And I went, what do you mean? 
She says, well, maybe he thought that I meant to come in to start working at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And the boss at the store who, you know, is like high as a kite and stinks like patchouli. Totally. And is like friends with my mother. They all went to the same like Joan Baez concerts together. <laughs> she tells the mom like, well, he was supposed to work, but like maybe he thought I meant come in at five o'clock. So Beth, the mom, you and me are all like, bitch, we'll be back here at five. And if he comes in here before that, you tell him he's in trouble, but not in so much trouble that he shouldn't call me right away. <laughs> People don't understand how much trouble Lola and Daisy are both in. Because you'll be like, Daisy? I know. Daisy? Are you at work? But kids are just dicks. They yes. don't understand what this shit does to parents. 100%. We didn't understand, and now our kids don't understand. It's like the like insensitivity of youth to not know that your parents are waiting by the goddamn phone. Call your mother. Everybody do it right now. When the podcast is done, <laughs> call your mother. Beth is like, you know, I'm sure she's like pacing around the house, waiting by the phone. She's never smoked a cigarette in her life, but she's had two packs today. <laughs> But who does she call? I got a phone call from Beth on Saturday, the 20th, Saturday afternoon around 2 o'clock. And I remember this vividly. She goes, Penny, I haven't heard from Lee since last night. I'm really worried. What should I do? (laughs) She calls Penny the (laughs) PI. Of course. And Penny's like, girl, we're just let's give him till 5 o'clock, see if he gets to the mall. The mom is back at the mall at 5 o'clock on the nose. He's not there, and she's real worried. And the narrator tells us that Beth has, quote, a mother's intuition that something is wrong. You guys, no one has seen hide nor hair of this kid since midnight last night. It's 5 p.m. Is that mother's intuition, or is that just being a fucking human on the planet? When she discovers he's not at the mall, Beth has a mother's intuition that something is terribly wrong. Is that just plain old panic? So she's ticking down the boxes of the places he could be because they say several times that he liked to kind of like get his space and be a little bit of a loner and things like that. But his friends are not yet concerned. Lee's girlfriend, Autumn, still believes Lee is at work at the mall. And his friends all know that Lee often likes to set off on his own to think. And to meditate. This is where, like, Lee and I diverge. Because yes. he's, he's the kind of person who likes, and you're going to have to explain this expression to me. I've never heard it before. Something it's something like alone time. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. that is. Or, like, time by myself. They say about him, I don't know what that means. Yeah. So, um, normal people <laughs> like to just uh-huh. be alone uh-huh. with their thoughts. Mm, that sounds not entertaining to me at all. It <laughs> does not sound fun. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to go in a different direction. I am not into that. But apparently he did. He liked to go and think and meditate, to which I'm like... They say this later, but do you remember where she said he liked to go think? In a parking garage! In a parking garage! (laughs) And he also liked going to a parking garage. And he'd sit there and just think. I actually had this in my notes because I remember when I was in high school thinking that like there were things I liked to do that I'm sure other people thought were weird. Like did I ever have like a parking garage that I like to go think in? No, yeah, no. But I'm sure that I did other things that like if I was went missing and somebody made a documentary about me they'd be like that gay kid was weird. So that night he had an event for BBYO. In ninth grade Lee founded a local chapter of a Jewish youth group called B'nai B'rith Youth Organization or BBYO. He became president of the boys' chapter 
and spent tons of time planning activities. I actually know what BBYO is. We had a BBYO chapter where I grew up in the Bay Area, which has a very heavy Jewish population. Because I know of a BBYO that I founded. It's a gay drinking chapter. It stands for right. Bitch Bring Your Own. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, I worked really hard on that joke, Ellen. I basically went to the comedy cellar and worked that shit out. Oh, I was so proud of it. Everybody laugh. You're, so, you're, you're very funny and clever, but I'm used to that. Lee's cousin, Rabbi Ross Shapiro, understands what BBYO meant for Lee and his personal sense of spirituality. While he probably wasn't sure of where he wanted to go with religion, um, he was certainly very sure that he wanted to be a Jew. His girlfriend Autumn tells us that, like, you know, he was kind of shy and reserved in, in regular life, but, like, you go see him at these BBYO meetings, and he was, like, loud and fun and funny, and, like, I thought that was really fucking cool that he made a safe space for himself. So that's Saturday, yeah, so he had the sleepover the night before. Saturday, he, like, we thought he was maybe going to work, but we knew for sure that he had, like, an outing, like, a get-together that night with his youth group at a bowling alley. Right, and it was set to start at 8 o'clock. So, <laughs> Beth, my hero... <laughs> And her husband, what do they do? They show up at the bowling event. Hell yeah, they do! But Lee doesn't show up at the BBYO event. It's something that normally Lee would never miss out on. This is the last signal Lee's mom needs to raise a red flag. Yes, 7.59 p.m. They're there. He's not there. And this is the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back for Beth. She calls the cops right away. So this is where we find out the investigation begins that night. We also learn one thing about him here. This is so bizarre. He loved to talk to truck drivers. We love talking to truck drivers. He'd go to the Oasis and sit and talk to truck drivers. There was a place called the Oasis. Oasis. It's like a truck stop on the highway, and we see pictures of it. P.I. Penny tells us, yeah, totally normal. He would just go to the Oasis and sit down for hours and talk to truck drivers. And I have P.I. Penny, stop talking to me about this like it's normal. Yeah. What are you talking about? Who's, I've, I don't think I've ever talked to a truck driver in my life. No. <laughs> but I just wrote, he loved to talk to truck drivers. What? That's all I wrote. <laughs> Look, he liked to go and meditate in parking garages and go talk to truck drivers on the highway. I mean, leave him alone. Leave him to his own devices. Exactly. So we find out they go through all the necessary steps. They go through his room. He didn't pack anything crazy. He didn't look like he packed a bag. We did go through his belongings in his bedroom. We didn't have any indications there that he had packed things for a long trip. The thing about the police going through the bedroom and seeing that he didn't, like, take any clothes, like, they make a point to say it didn't look like he packed for a trip. This says to me one of two things, either an abduction or, like, a potential suicide. So that that's what I'm thinking. Right. And so, yeah, like, his friends are on the hunt for him. And so they go to the local gas station where they think he would have maybe gone to, like, fill up his car. And they find out that, like, one of the attendants who worked there saw him at 10 p.m. Now, this is like two in the morning, which means he's probably close by. And girl, guess who's on the case? Uh, I'm going to say Penny. Being a private investigator, I thought, well, there might be something there. <laughs> Penny, Penny, the P.I., gets out of bed at 2.15 in the morning. She drives her like Honda Civic, you know it's a Honda Civic, down to the gas station where she is berating the guy behind the counter. It turns out we got to the gas station, the speedway, and I said, do you have some type of a surveillance camera that was been taking pictures and they said well yeah but they couldn't do anything until the manager gets in. Most people don't know this, but because I'm a private investigator, oh my God, I, I can let you in on the secret that gas stations have security cameras. Right. She like they she learned that in year two of her PI school or whatever. 
So she, she drives down and the poor like guy behind the counter is like, oh, yes, ma'am. We do have that. Unfortunately, I can't do anything until I talk to my manager. In my mind, she's screaming at him and like pounding on the table and also trying to buy like a six pack of Mountain Dews. <laughs> and then she tells us that like she had to back off because the real police were there. Right. She was like, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys got this. You guys, you guys go. You guys go. You guys go. You fellas, you fellas check in with me later. Let me know what you find. OK. <laughs> and then she like tries to do the secret high five but they know a different handshake and she's like you know what never mind don't even worry about it we're talking about 2 30 in the morning already and i'm just like well can't you call them <laughs> i would have but buffalo grove police were there and so i had to step back so they say that the manager is going to be there the next day that they could see the surveillance cameras but I mean... I know. We talk about this on True Crime Obsessed in every episode. Why do we even bother to have surveillance videos? When they show up the next morning to see the manager and get the surveillance video for their missing kid, the, the surveillance video has already been erased. And do you know what I have here, Ellen? Get ready to name this gas station after me, you guys. Yeah, I mean... Do you remember from episode one when they had to name that town in Texas after me? Yeah. I'm getting my name all over this goddamn country. <laughs> the family learns that the surveillance footage has already been erased. But an employee at the gas mart did see Lee Cutler. It turns out that it was not at 10 o'clock, 1030 at night. It was during the day. It was in the morning. So they talked to the gas station attendant and they were like, no, he wasn't here at 10 p.m. He was here at 10 (laughs) a.m. And I feel like when Penny learned that information, she just knocked over an entire case of like ho-hos. She just started flipping things over. She's like, this place, I'm going to turn this upside down. (laughs) And she just like flips it. Yeah. She's like, don't worry, you guys. I'm a private investigator. Don't worry. Don't worry. I got this, Karen. Okay, so remember, we're at the gas station, and we get some crazy news, because we thought the last person to see Lee was the attendant who saw him at 10 p.m. last night, but it turned out that it was 10 yesterday morning. So, you know, there's a 12 hours difference in the timing. So, like, really, if the last time anybody saw him was 10 a.m. yesterday, it's now 10 a.m. today, he literally could be anywhere. From what they can piece together, he dropped his friend off at 9.50 a.m., drove straight to the Speedway gas station and disappeared. And we learn here, and this is we'll, we'll just focus on this for a second here because this comes back later, but he was a reader. His favorite books were Catcher in the Rye and Into the Wild. And oh. Into the Wild, I also loved that book. So that's, I, I have just in big letters, Into the Wild, this is a big red flag. Yeah. We'll get back to this later. Just keep that in mind. But this is where we find out that he did carry a bit of anxiety through yeah. his life. Lee had first shown signs of suicidal tendencies a year and a half earlier. His mother believes it was prompted by a relationship that was more than young Lee could handle. Wait, just a couple things about this. The mom, it like looks at the camera and she's like, his first girlfriend, I really, really liked her. Lee's first girlfriend, I really like her a lot. When she was going to go away to college... She said to him, you're going to come visit me all the time and I want to marry you. I know. But then also, and look, I am the girlfriend. I am the one who's like, um, and I love you and I'm going to marry you and we're going to be together forever and you're going to visit me every weekend. But like we learned that this girl was really, really into him. And he was sort of like, um, could you maybe not smother me so much? Which is feedback I've gotten plenty of times in my life. Yeah, I told you that this morning. Right. Um, but she says a very interesting sentence. She said she was filled with emotions that he just couldn't handle. Yeah. I actually think that's like a really wise thing to say because again, they're babies. 
twenties. They're right. you know he's eighteen years old, and there's this. No, he girl- was younger than that because she was going into like college, and he was going into right. his sophomore year of, of high school. So like that's a big difference. We find out that he, because of this situation, had brought a knife to school and said that he had thoughts of suicide. I got a phone call that um, Lee was going to kill himself in school. They took him to the hospital um, on a snowy day, and he wanted to get out so badly. I remember the hardest part was he said, Mom, I have to get out of here. And I said, you know, I can't let you out of here because I'm not sure that you're going to do harm to yourself. And I love you too much to have that on my shoulders. And he gets taken to, like, I don't know what the right terminology is, and I don't want to say it wrong, but they put him in a ward in a hospital for kids with these sorts of problems. Right. The only word that comes to mind is, like, psychiatric ward. Yes. It's like almost like a comfort care. Yeah. A sort of a therapeutic place to be. And he didn't want to be there, and his mom was like, look, I love you, but I actually can't trust you. Which is what any mother would say. Again, Beth and I are the same person. Like, yeah. girl, I love you and I get that you don't want to be here but like I don't trust that you're not going to hurt yourself if I let you go right and it's really like it's really crazy because both his mom and his cousin Ross the rabbi are saying to us like we didn't handle that situation right I think now I wouldn't have made the same mistake in just kind of letting it be we kind of became secretive sometimes it's funny the things that that you're trained to see in uh and people who are not your family, you can miss when it when it's your family. But Ross the rabbi is like, you know, after that, our conversations were kind of superficial. We didn't talk as much. Right. The mom says he became secretive. And the mother feels like this resulted in him feeling like if he ever relapsed, he'd go right back to a place like this. And so he started to, like, treat his own mental health without telling anybody about it. And this is significant because the cops point to the text messages on the night that he went missing, the night that he was texting his friend, like, I feel like I don't fit in. I need your help. And they're saying, like, maybe in trying to figure out, like, where this kid went, maybe that was his anxiety resurfacing. And perhaps this was leaning more towards, like, a suicide situation. In this case, because he had some negative thoughts and there was uh, indications that there could be a suicidal tone to this, that met the criteria for an endangered missing child over the age of 18. So this is where we learn. So earlier, remember, we learned that the police went through his bedroom. And for some reason, we didn't get this information. Then we're getting it now. The one thing that was missing, he didn't take any clothes. He didn't take any belongings. But the one thing that was missing was this like beer stein. We had like a huge stein that had money in it. Yeah, which is probably anywhere from five to eight hundred dollars. It's gone. It's basically like a beer stein stuffed full of cash. Right. Like it was kind of like where he saved all of his money. But they say that like there was over five hundred dollars in cash and he took that with him. Yep. And to me, I was like, okay, when we found out that he hadn't packed anything, I was like, uh, suicide. Yeah. But now that we found out that he took money, what would you need money for if you're planning to go exactly. take your own life? Totally in the woods? my thought. So it's like, ah, like Ellen, where is he? Yeah, where is, where he? is he? So we meet Steve Hussick and he is one of of the uh, police officers on the case, they say they are looking at the cell phone records and they do verify that the last activity on his cell phone was at 1220, essentially Saturday morning, Friday night. Yeah. And his phone was turned off because it wasn't pinging anywhere after that. In this case, his phone being off 
or out of batteries. It wasn't giving a signal to any cell towers. So we weren't able to use that as a clue to where he had gone. So now we are at Monday, October 22nd, which is 42 hours after he was seen last. Yeah. And a huge break in the case comes. On October 22nd, at about 3.40 in the morning, one of our deputies who was on patrol came across the vehicle, which was in the wayside. He ran a registration check on the vehicle. It came back as being a missing person out of Illinois. That was the first time that we've heard the name Lee Cutler. So they're in Baraboo, Wisconsin, which is 177 miles from his home. You guys, that's like, that stopped me dead in my tracks. Like, yeah. where is he going? What is he doing? Right, but moreover, Kevin Faults, who is the county sheriff, says everything in the car checked out. The investigators looked at the car and they found nothing in there that would indicate any type of foul play to them. There didn't look like there's any struggle in there. The car was parked properly. It was locked up. It was secure. There was nothing wrong with this car. So a deputy sits out and watches that car all All night. night. So what does our hero Beth do? I don't know. She drives to Wisconsin. (laughs) She's like, Barry, Barry, wake up. Where's Wisconsin? We're driving there. Is the car... Gas again, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. We're going to with oh, Beth. Yeah, so the mom and the stepdad figure out where Wisconsin is and they go there. I couldn't get, get I, an atlas. If I had to find Wisconsin, girl, we'd be screwed. <laughs> and so uh, we learn like the cops in Wisconsin, not even the kids' home state, they are sparing no expense. There's a ground search, they get a fucking plane. And, and a, a helicopter. helicopter. The helicopter's got that infrared shit, and I just have, this shit is well organized. More than 50 people out here throughout the whole search. With the fixed-wing aircraft, we put an officer up there with the pilot, and they were able to see down the rows of the corn. They could see to the ground. With the helicopter, we had a FLIR unit on it. The FLIR is an infrared object that's used to detect different temperature objects. They did an air search through the cornfields because they can see all the way to the ground yeah. from the air. And they have this infrared thing that, like, can spot body heat. I know. Like, okay, Wisconsin. Like, all right, who knew Wisconsin had such technology in 2007? But they quickly locate a makeshift campsite. And, like, we see the pictures of it. And it's a blanket and shit in the woods. And, and the family quickly identifies it as his. And the only thing I thought about in this moment was like, this kid slept in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night. And I truly cannot think of anything more terrifying. A home invasion where I am tied to a chair for three days is less terrifying than sleeping alone by choice in the woods, Ellen. I have nothing else to say other than that's in a perfect representation of you. If, if there was a game show and it was like, Patrick, you get $100,000 if you hike in woods yeah. and then you sleep there. You'd be like, hard pass. Hard Love pass. you. Bye. I don't need your $100,000. Nobody needs no. that money so bad. <laughs> so they find a bunch of things. They find, you know, papers. They find water bottles. But the most important thing they find is they find a box with two medicines. There was a box of portocedin, a empty container of Advil PM, and a couple bottles of 
water. So they find a box of cordycedin, which I actually looked up what the deadly ingredients of cordycedin in, and it's dextrothorphan. Oh, um, you okay over there? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually an ingredient that has hallucinogenic properties. Yeah. So if taken in excess, it can make you hallucinate. He also had a bottle of empty Advil PM, which combined is hazardous. Well, hazardous to say the least. They're like uh, stomach bleeding, hallucinations, doubles your chances of heart failure, yeah. could lead to coma or death. Yeah, yeah. It's all- Or as my friend Ellen says, not great for you. It's not the best <laughs> thing for you. So they've got the airplane and the helicopter and the ground crew and the infrared. Now they're searching the river. There's a river there. They're searching the river with sonar and underwater cameras and then a full fucking dive team. There are plenty of obstacles in this river making it a very difficult river to work for our dive team. The team was able to use a side sonar, underwater camera, and then when they had to, they put officers or divers into the water and searched around these down trees. You guys, they really wanted to find this kid. They wanted to find him so bad. And I support that. I want to find him too, but I'm just saying like, oh my God. Then comes the thing that I always hate seeing, but I have to watch is the plea from a family member. Distraught, they get in front of a local news camera to plead for his return. This is breaking my heart. I love you so much. I have a void in my heart. It's just killing me. If you don't think you're loved, you're loved. You're loved. Your friends love you. Your parents love you. Your neighbors love you. That's it. She just pours her heart out in the most visceral way. And then she just says, and and that's it. So they feel like they're onto something. So they search the river, like you said, high and low. And then they found two really important things. They don't find Lee, but they do come across an item he holds dear to his heart, his favorite yarmulke. It was pretty odd because, I mean, I know the kippah was very important to him, and I know in the Jewish religion itself, I mean, that's kind of like a sacred thing. I mean, I'm not quite sure if it's on the level with like a Torah, but I know that you would never leave a Torah on the ground. They found his yarmulke. Right. So something of note was that Lee wore a yarmulke or a kippah on his head, which is... okay. Which is a Jewish um, token. People that, know what a yarmulke men, is, Marsh. <laughs> that men wear on their head. I don't know. You don't know their lives. But anyway, they found his favorite yarmulke yeah. on the ground, and they also found a note. Beth read me the note, um, and it was it was very dire. I know it by heart. It said, "My head is too big for my body." Finally, I'll get to sleep. I'm, I'm sorry, Mom, I'm, I'm, that I'm a coward. I love you, Mom. Please be happy. Obviously, this is definitely him. The note is fucking heartbreaking. And Beth and you and me all know it by heart. Yeah. Beth is like, she doesn't need to read this note. Nope. She read it once and memorized it. It was burned into her brain. No, here's the thing about Beth. And I love her and I want to hold her hand and I get it. Beth fully believes this is not a suicide note. That doesn't mean that he committed suicide. I mean, it, it, it's just a note, and it's like his feelings that he had a lot of thoughts and he couldn't clear his mind. And she's just sort of like, the look on her face at the implication that it might be a suicide note is like, huh? 
Like, she doesn't get it. And she's like, no, girl. Like, that was just him writing down his thoughts. It was a way for him to clear his mind. I I mean, and I'm not living in some fantasy world. For all intents and purposes, if this were a movie, I'd be like, dude, he killed himself. I don't, we'll find out later more information. I don't think he killed himself. Yeah, I don't, uh, we'll get there too. Like, before the last episode where they actually found her, and that literally happens in 0.01% of cases, I'd be like, girl, that never happens. Yeah. He's definitely dead. I know, but, like, right? apparently it does happen sometimes. Michelle Whitaker, man. I know. Okay, so five days of searching the river, they find another clue. They find his pants and his belt. They matched what we were told he was last seen wearing. And I feel like this is just getting to be so fucking Blair Witch. Like, yeah. It's just like, what the fuck happened out there? Right. Guys, this is why you don't go sleep in the middle of the woods by yourself in the middle of nowhere at 3.30 in the morning. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. And also call your mom. Also- <laughs> End of podcast. Goodbye. Curtain. So <laughs> they decide, which is probably a really difficult decision to make. They say, point blank, he is not in that river. They comb the river. They determined he wasn't there because something was have been found he would have been found and they were there hours after he went it's not like they were looking two weeks later right i mean i guess it's always possible that that if he did take his own life he could have been dragged away by an animal or something like that but they were at the campsite like less than five hours of when he was there yep so they would have found his body if his body were in the woods my opinion that is if lee cutler was in that immediate area we'd have found him. They essentially call off the search and they think to themselves, like, is he setting us up? The fact that there's no sign of him gives a lot of power to the possibility that he was just trying to set everybody up to let him go. Who would do that? Like, that's so, so awful. And I understand that if somebody is in a mental state or whatever, like, yes. and and we learned in the Michelle Whitaker episode, like, remember, it wasn't that she was trying to torture her family. She really thought they were better off without her. So they also, during this time, check his car. They comb his car. Normal Ugh. teenage stuff, right? Papers, music, candy wrappers. They found two things of interest. Number one, they found a Walmart receipt from Madison, Wisconsin. The Walmart receipt showed the purchase of the Cortisidin and the Advil PM. Detectives are hoping that they can find surveillance tape from the store that shows if Lee is all right and if he is traveling alone. So they check that surveillance. Boom. Saturday, October 20th, Lee was at that Walmart with the surveillance cameras. And I'll tell you, I could watch like that surveillance footage. It's in the episode. You guys, you have to go watch it. Like nothing really that crazy happens, but it's like just to see it, yeah. just to like this kid's been missing. He's hundreds of miles from home and there he is on the security camera. It is crazy to see that. But also, didn't you think, I mean, even with grainy surveillance cameras, didn't you think he was very casual? Yeah. Like he was just walking. He wasn't walking fast. He wasn't looking around. He didn't look suspicious nothing would have called my attention to him whatsoever. It's just the yarmulke. That's how I think they were able to identify him. Totally, yeah. And it was his yarmulke. Yeah, and the other thing that's important here is that they found an entrance ticket to like a state park that was also in Wisconsin. And again, I have... P.I. Penny is on it. Does she get in her car and drive straight there to get some answers? No, girl. She picks up the phone and makes a sensible phone call. I called over there, she says. (laughs) I called over there, and it turned out that if you're a Wisconsin resident, it's $7. If you're from another state, it's $10. Well, he just paid $7. I mean, not to be rude, but she didn't get to be a private investigator by being an idiot. Right. (laughs) Can you show some respect? (laughs) 
You're right. You're right. She, quote, calls over there. And her big, like, PI moment is that she finds out that to get into this state park for Wisconsin residents, it's $7. For out of state, it's $10. But he only paid $7. And I just have Penny is incredulous. She makes this face at the filmmakers like, you tell me, girl. You tell me. What does that mean, girl? (laughs) She cracked the case. (laughs) So at this point, this just puts it like maybe he was with someone. I just think the lady at the door was like, I'll charge you for the in-state. Right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're kind of cute, kid. You got in yeah. for seven bucks. Investigators can now map out Lee Cutler's last known whereabouts. Lee is seen by an attendant at 10 a.m. Saturday at the Speedway Gas Mart in Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Three hours later, he is 134 miles due north at the Walmart in Madison. 23 minutes later, he pays the entrance fee at Kettle Moraine Campground 50 miles east. He then drives 100 miles west to Baraboo and parks his car near the river. This is no meandering drive. Like, he knew where he was going. By the time he dropped his car off, it was almost empty of gas. This is some Ellen Marsh shit. He did some math to know exactly how much money to spend on the gas. Absolutely. So that when he got to where he was going, he had, like, not even a quarter of a tank left. He's no fool. Right. Um, so besides those two receipts, they also find two books in the trunk that were also very interesting. These two favorite books was Into the Wild and Catcher in the Rye. We talked about Into the Wild. We read it years ago. I was, like, obsessed with that Yeah, story. I was obsessed with it, too. It's John Krakauer. He's that great, like, outdoor magazine writer. He's written all those books, like, Under the Banner of Heaven and Into Thin Air. Like, he's, he's a great writer. And basically, Into the Wild tells the story of Chris McCandles, who abandoned his life. And, and so now they're drawing parallels. They're saying, like, was he trying to, like, mimic this book? That book is uh, about a, a young man that basically cuts his ties with his family and ultimately works his way up into Alaska and goes into a very wilderness remote area unfortunately for that young man he ended up dying up there so this kid Chris McCandles like hiked into the Alaskan outback and found this bus like 40 or 50 miles into the outback and lived at this bus until he like ate the wrong berry one day by accident and died he was infuriating if you have not read that book I have never been infuriated by someone who made such a horrible mistake and it's a tragic end yeah but the story is just he makes mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake read Into the Wild if you haven't but he also like he abandons his family he doesn't tell anyone where he's going yep. he was it doesn't seem like he was as close with his family as lee is but like he changes his name and he gets all of his money out of his bank account and burns it and that's a parallel like remember how lee like took the stein with all that money in it like there's a scene in the book where chris mccandles like takes the money from his bank account and lights it on fire so it's like did lee do that and then hike into the woods like chris mccandles did and perish out there or or god only knows what but like that's why into the wild is important here because they're they're saying like was he trying to copy this kid right and girl people do it i was yeah. reading an article about it today people die all the time trying to hike out to that bus oh my god it's gosh. just like another hiker dies on a into the wild like mission trip absolutely and it, it's just such an infuriating story it's like don't go in the wild don't live in a car for a year so then rabbi ross comes in with a really interesting find about a section in the torah so he disappeared october 20th 2007 and there are correlating dates in the torah The section of uh, Torah, when Lee left, starts out, and God said to Abraham, go for yourself from your land, from your family, from the house of your parents, 
to the land that I will show you. Rabbi Ross was just saying maybe, again, he read something, he had a calling, he read something in the Torah. I mean, are they looking too much into it? They I say don't... that Lee was strong enough in his faith that he would have known that that's the passage that would have correlated with the date that he went missing. And so they're just saying, like, this is what makes this case, and I hate to use this word, but, like, fascinating, is that, like, did he go into the woods and die? Did he go into the woods and take his own life? Did he just, like, try to emulate this kid in this book, or did he, like, because Rabbi Ross is saying, like, one of the ways we find God is by, like, abandoning everything and just going on a quest, basically. Yeah, sure. And that's basically what this passage of the Torah was saying for him to do on that day. Did he go and do that? And then there's one other thing, which is that P.I. Penny tells us that Lee always wanted to join the Israeli military. My sister Jordana went to Israel on her own. She was supposed to come back and she just said she loves it too much and she stayed. And then she joined the army, the IDF, for three years. And I know that had a strong influence on Lee because he, he also really looked up to the IDFs. The IDF is the Israeli Defense Forces. Some militaries in some countries, they will take people from foreign countries. You don't have to be an Israeli citizen to do it. Lee had talked to Penny about it. He had talked to his mom about it. And the mom was really against it at first. But then she sort of like came around to the idea when she realized she didn't have any choice over the matter. And so the question is like, did he just run away to join the IDF? Right. Yeah. He felt a a kinship with Israel as, you know, the country. But this was also really interesting. So he looked into the program, if you remember, and they ordered information to be mailed and nothing came to the house. I said, look, Lee, if that's what you want to do, then that's fine. Let's sit down at the computer and let's look into different programs for you to do. And we sent away for different, you know, information about it. And I never got anything in the mail, which is kind of funny, you know, I mean... Lee would always come home before I would and get the mail. So I I don't know what happened. Beth was like, did he steal that material and like not let me see it? Because I mean, listen, if our daughters came to us and was like, you know what my calling is? The armed forces. I'd be like, I am locking you in your room until the day I die. Until the day I die, you are staying in your room that is decorated pink right now with troll dolls in it. Look, my sister joined the military and was was active military for 20 years it's it's very hard on the family especially if you don't come from a military family you know so these are all ideas everyone's just drawing conclusions everyone you know they had a little possible sighting of him in nevada yeah there was a possibility that he was found in nevada there was a young man sitting there watching these painters paint and he looked very hungry and very scrawny i said Okay, if this is true, that maybe he's at some type of a shelter. So I found out where a shelter was in the area, and I gave Beth all the information. P.I. Penny checked it out. (laughs) You know she did. P.I. Penny did a Goog search for, like, a shelter in the area. Penny, girl, it might be time for a weekend brush-up course on your P.I. skills. I'm just saying, I'm not one to judge. We're not mad at you? No. We're just, like, not impressed with you. Right. Yeah, I, that's that's all we're saying. So, yeah, and, and, and like, and it, that's how it ends. Like, there, you know, the mom is like, look, if you went to Israel, that's fine. Girl, just call me. If you're out there, if you've been on your spiritual quest, fine. Girl, just call me. Like, and that's part of what makes me think, like, he must be dead because he wouldn't do this to his mother. No, I just feel that he's not I feel like this is a Michelle Whitaker thing I feel like he is out there and he just had 
some kind of heaviness in his heart or something. Where did he go? Girl, where, where, is he? Did he where, go? where is he? Where did he go? <laughs> He's so cute, you guys. And he just, I mean, not that that's a gauge of anything for anyone beyond Patrick, but right? <laughs> I mean, he honestly could be anywhere. So, so girl, did you give it a goog? Uh, you know I Googled I know. it. I searched Facebook. I searched Instagram. I Googled it. I was obsessed. I swear, I promise you, I felt in my gut that I was going to find out that he was found. I swear. <laughs> I really did. And I have no patience. You guys, if you're going to You are going to solve one of these. I have no doubt. I am going to solve one. And also, like, I just, I hate surprises. So yeah. the minute it started, I Googled it. Yeah. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. If you're throwing me a surprise party, I'm going to find out. Yeah. Don't even plan on throwing me a surprise party because I'm going to find out. <laughs> about it wait so what did you find out i mean f nothing absolutely nothing there is no sight of him nothing is heard the case still remains unsolved oh girl what a crazy episode Ugh. this one haunts my dreams i need to know where he is if he shows up within the foreseeable future, yeah. I'm going to come back to this moment and say, <laughs> I told you. I know. He is still alive. I feel it in my bones. Okay. um, You guys, I want to tell you the next episode is about Maura Murray. If you listen to True Crime Obsessed, you'll know I am obsessed with the Maura Murray case. Should I even come? I mean, I feel like you could, ju- yeah. I feel like you could just do it yeah. like, by memory at this point. Should I even show up? But the thing about this episode is that it, it happened, they made this episode right after she went missing. So they, they get some stuff wrong. There's a lot of updates in the case. You guys, I am interviewing Maura's sister, Julie Murray. I've been DMing with her on the Instagram. I am obsessed with her. I've never gotten to talk to her before. I'm interviewing her, and we are going to have that interview at the end of next week's episode. So we'll get an update right from Julie herself. I'm going to try to get her to do an Instagram Live with us. Oh, my gosh. I know. So stay tuned. It's going to be a crazy episode. Girl, tell the people where they can find us on the social media. Oh, my gosh. They can find us on Instagram at the Disappeared Pod. You can find me me at Ellen Marsh on all the things, anything you want to find me on. And they can find you at, at Patrick Hines pesky little underscore. On the Instagram, that's right. Um, and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. You guys follow our social media. We are doing stories. We're doing go lives on the at Disappeared Pod on Instagram. We are there all the time. We're doing weekly like lives and talks. And Oh, and there's tons of pictures of us from like our earlier years together, like in college. I'm trying to post a bunch of our old yeah. college pictures when I do, so check those out on Instagram. We love sharing with you guys. We love hearing from you, so please drop us a message, drop a comment, and we'll always get back to you. Yeah, we love you, and we'll see you next week. Be safe. We love you. (laughs) Bye. All right, let's do it. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Where is he? Okay, 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 okay. This one, I'm going to get emotional. Just be funny. That's all I ask. Shut up, Patrick. Um, I love you. I'm so glad we're doing this. We have an hour, so let's let's get fucking through this. Okay, but you know but what? I love you. What I'm saying is they are not they are not connected thoughts. I was saying I love you. I'm so glad we're doing this. Also, I have a four o'clock too. I teach at four, so get off my jockstrap. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're waiting. I guess we're waiting for Ms. Marsh. Oh, I'm so sorry. You had to pee because we have an a date every Friday, but clearly you forgot that it was time to pee. I was talking to Good Morning America. Oh, okay. Hold on one second. One second. Just bend over to your right. Pick up that name you dropped real quick. All right, let's go. 
Let's All find right. Lee Cutler. But I'm sure that I did other things that, like, if I was went missing and somebody made a documentary about me, they'd be like, that gay kid was weird. He was super weird. I used to drive 20 minutes in an opposite direction to get a fountain soda with crushed ice rather than cubed ice. Well, there was one place on Cape Cod where I grew up that made slush puppies. It was 45 minutes away, and I would probably go four or five times a week. Okay, don't tell anyone else that story. <laughs> They were obviously a close-knit sort of like neighborhoody group of people. They're called and- nerds, Ellen. You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we were all nerds. I wanted my mom to go to parties with me when I was eighteen. I one hundred percent did. I did not. Well, I was like, later, Anna. Peace out. Like, I did not. I was not that kind of kid. I love Chicago. I like wouldn't. Yeah. I would move to Chicago. So yes, totally. Same. To- do you do you love Chicago? Love Chicago. Love Chicago. It's so clean. I know. And also Midwest, so people are nice. Like I was in a CVS in Chicago, and like the like teller was like, "Hey, how are you?" I was like, "Why?" <laughs> like who who do you answer to? And she was like, "Oh, you're from New York. You're doing one of those out of town shows here, aren't you?" Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, "Who wants to know?" They're so nice. Anyway, love Chicago. Okay. Why?